temptation I know you sent me some But I was waiting For the miracle For the miracle to come Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we will be looking at issue number 534, February 25th, 1995, pence. So this week's issue um, is slightly different to usual. There is no recognised musician as the cover star. The cover star for this week is Woody Harrelson as his character Mickey Knox from the film Natural Born Killers. So the cover for Kerrang! this week is Natural Born Killers, Sex, Psychos and Serial Killers, Metal Goes to the Movies. Also, Cheap Booze Offer, see page 5, love it. Thunder and Hole, UK date, Skid Row Steaming LP exclusive, Sensor, Road Rapping Report, Manix, Richie Manic Missing, L7, Are You On Their Shit List, Nine Inch Nails, Natural Born Killers Kicks Ass, Guns N' Roses, The Manson Connection, Plus Slash's Snake Pit and Faith No More new lineup posters. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Karangback Issues, we can be contacted via Instagram, Karangback Issues, Twitter, Karangpod, email karangbackissues at gmail.com. If you know someone that you think might be interested in this podcast, please do share it with them. And also, if you would like to leave us a review on Apple Music or Spotify, that would also be wonderful. Thank you very much. Starting this week with a swift word from the editor. They said it would never happen, but it's upon us right now. Yes, the Kerrang! karaoke video is in the shops now, featuring tracks by the likes of Bon Jovi, Guns N' Roses, Led Zeppelin and more. It's the ultimate chance for you to live out your fantasies and become the rock star of your dreams. All you need to do is grab yourself a copy of this totally ludicrous video, slap it into your video player, down a few lagers too many, LucasAid will do the trick if you're under 18, and dust down your tonsils. The rest is entirely down to your imagination. Stay tuned next week for the full lowdown on this Kerrang-tastic bit of fun as a set of metal megastars get to grips with the art of karaoke. Elsewhere this week, in this world's loudest mag, you'll find another set of splendiferous offers designed to deliver a ton of value for mayhem. On the opposite page, you'll find a reminder about Kerrang's exclusive Faith No More album playback nights. On page 4, you'll find details of Kerrang's first Class of 95 club night with the opportunity to save loads of money on booze on the night itself. On page 14, you'll find details of the UK debut by hotly tipped Swedish industrial mob Misery Loves Company on March the 11th. There's half price admission for Kerrang readers and a chance to get a free CD. On page 22, you'll find details of the heaviest awards ceremony in the world. Yes, the Kerrang Awards are back. We hope that you'll agree that we're taking the right steps to make Kerrang! more than a magazine. Of course, the rest of the issue is packed with tons of rocking action, most notably are a set of features which examines the bludgeoning phenomenon of metal in the movies. From the violent outbursts of Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers, through to the failure of metal stars to make any impact as actors. It's an all-probing, all-strobing issue. The final word, however, goes out to the Manic Street Preachers. At the time of scribbling, guitarist Richie James has been missing for over two weeks. The full story is on page 10. The only thing we can add is that we hope to see him again soon. Our thoughts lie with him and the Manics. Till next week, Phil Alexander, editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Starting this week with Mayhem, the hottest news in metal first. But just before we jump into that, there was a couple of pieces at the start of the magazine, before the news, which I thought I would mention. Um, there's a Faith No More album playback of uh, King For A Day, Fall For A Lifetime, and they're offering people the chance to get tickets at a few different HMVs across the country, to go to a few different venues across the country, rock clubs, where you could um, hear the new album and get some freebies and stuff. The other one is a piece, a two-page piece called Booze, Birds and Bad Language. February 27th, Nottingham Rock City, five bands for four quids. 
Head Swim, Baby Chaos, Joyrider, The Last Great Dreamers and Burn kick off their first Karen Club night plus money saving booze offer. So this is two pages talking about what's going to happen on the night, the five bands that are playing and also vouchers to get a pound a pint and a pound per shot. Pretty good if you ask me. Anyway, let's crack on with the news. It's a triumph. Skid Row get hard, heavy and serious. Skid Row have finally completed work on their third studio album, Subhuman Race. The album, which was produced by Bob Rock, will be released in the UK on March 27th. The whole thing was a great challenge for this band on a lot of levels, reveals guitarist Dave Snake Sabo, but in this case, the end has justified the means. Bob Rock is a tremendous talent and he's got a great track record. I remember when we were finishing up Slave to the Grind and Metallica were finishing up their record with Bob. We would compare what we were doing. Lars Ulrich uh, would play me the roughs of Sad But True and I would just go, holy shit. So I was really eager to work with Bob. Everyone said we wouldn't get him, but I was really persistent. I bugged the shit out of people to get to him and I hounded everyone I could. For his part, Rock knew next to nothing about either the various personalities in Skid Row, who are completed by Bingpole Baller Seb Back, guitarist Scotty Hill, bassist Rachel Bolan and drummer Rob Afuso, or their respective abilities. He didn't know if we could even play Sabo Laughs, but I was up for it because I know that everyone in this band can play. I'm not saying we're virtuosos, but it was a great challenge from the start. And in Sabo's words, the end result is something of a triumph for the quintet. You felt proud to be a part of this thing as it was coming down, he gushes. Of course, it wasn't all a fairy tale. There were many confrontations between Bob and all of us on many different levels. I mean, you have a producer who's very forthright and opinionated and you have a band who are very protective and opinionated. But after all we've been through, by the time we got to Vancouver Studios, we were there to get something done. And in that respect, it was an ongoing triumph for all of us. Subhuman Race will be the band's first album for more than three years. According to Sabo, the finished work has been an exorcism of sorts. Stop Press and Strong Doubt are beginning to emerge as to whether the Donington Monsters of Rock Festival will go ahead this year. Sources suggest that there's only a 50-50 chance of a suitable bill being assembled. More news soon. ACDC have re-recruited drummer Phil Rudd to play on their new album as exclusively revealed by Kerrang. Full story next week. Monster Magnet will tour the UK at the end of March. They've already confirmed a headline show at London's Subterranea on March 27th. Satchel, the super cool Seattle mob, will play their first UK dates in May. Manic Star goes missing. Richie James, the Manic Street Preachers' guitarist, has gone missing. A police search has already begun. The South Wales Police have released the following statement. Police are anxious to trace Richie James Edwards, aged 28 years, a member of the pop group Manic Street Preachers, who has been missing from the London area since Wednesday, February 1st, 1995, when he was seen leaving the London Embassy Hotel at 7am. It is known that on the same day he visited his home in Cardiff, and is still believed to be in possession of his silver Vauxhall Cavalier motor car, reg number L519HKX. Richard's family, band members and friends are concerned for his safety and welfare and stress that no pressure would be put on him to return if he does not wish to do so. They stress that his privacy will be respected at all times. Police are asking anyone who has seen Richard, knows of his whereabouts or has seen his car to contact them at Cardiff Central Police Station on 0222-222-111 and ask for the Crime Desk or CID office. Should Richard himself hear or see this appeal, his family and friends are anxious for him to contact one of them or the police to let them know he is safe and well. They again wish to stress that Richard will not be urged to return or reveal his whereabouts if he does not wish to do so. Manix bassist Nicky White added, If Richie doesn't want to come back then that's fine, but we just want him to give us a call or send a postcard. Last year, Richie was admitted to a private London clinic to receive treatment for depression. In the light of this and the fact that he has not been seen or heard from for more than two weeks, concern is obviously mounting as to his well-being. Mayhem can only emphasise that anyone who has seen Richie or has any knowledge of his whereabouts should call the South Wales Police on the above number. Hull have announced details of their long-awaited UK tour. Courtney Love's White Hot Quartet completed by guitarist Eric Erlandson, bassist Melissa Alftemur and drummer Patty Schmel play Wolverhampton Civic Hall April 27th, Sheffield Octagon 29th, Manchester Academy 30th, Glasgow Barrowlands May 1st, Nottingham Rock City 3rd and London Brixton Academy 4th. Ticket information and details of the support acts will be announced shortly. A single, Dull Parts, 
will be released to coincide with the tour, while MTV will screen an unplugged session whole of Just Filmed in New York. These will be Hole's first UK shows since last year's Reading Festival. They've spent the past few months on the road in the US, where their second album, Live Through This, has sold nearly a million copies. As ever, controversy has followed Love peaking with her recent arrest down under. Meanwhile, L7 have cancelled the remaining dates of their current European tour following the tragic death of their friend and guitar tech, Umbar. Umbar, born Evan Alexander Bloom, died suddenly and peacefully from cardio-respiratory failure as L7's crew were travelling by bus from the band's sellout show at London's Astoria on February the 9th to Dover, when they intended to catch a ferry to France. Both the band and the crew were said to be totally devastated. Umbar had worked on L7's past three tours. Prior to that, he had toured with Helmet and Biohazard. L7 guitarist vocalist Anita Sparks, guitarist uh, Susie Gardner, bassist Jennifer Finch and drummer Lee Plackus have flown back to the US to attend Umbar's funeral, which will take place in his hometown Miami next week. At the gates, the grinding Swedish Deathsters are about to raise Helen across England on their first full headlining tour and vocalist Thomas Lindbergh can't wait. Touring England for us is like being at home, all that beer and football he chortles. The band, uh, completed by guitarist Martin Larsen and Anders Bjorla, bassist Jonas Bjorla and drummer Adrian Erlinson, recently joined the Music for Nations roster as part of the deal that saw the respected label acquire Peaceville, with whom At The Gates have recorded their previous three albums. We've just done a demo featuring Suicide Nation and Unto Others, reveals Lindbergh, just so they could hear how we're progressing. They liked what we gave them. The quintet intend to record a new album during May-June, although they haven't chosen a producer as yet. We want to co-produce with a big name so that the band can jump to the next level, sound-wise, insists Lindbergh. Entombed, the Swedish death metal gods have finished writing material for their fourth studio album, which is due in May. It's going to be called DCXLBI, and it will be absolutely the heaviest thing we've ever done, announces drummer Nicky Anderson. But you'll have to wait to hear what the title means. We don't really have any song titles. That's the last thing we think about. There are 13 songs, but we're not going to have an album that's like fucking Soundgarden's lasting 70 minutes. We did a six-track demo and it's very entombed. I'm not saying we're going back to the style of any particular album, but a guitar tone, for example, will never discard that. According to Anderson, though, Entombed have matured since their last album, the highly acclaimed Wolverine Blues. We're a year and a half older, so that means something, I guess he explains. We're realising how much a good song is worth. Weezer, the LA alternative rockers whose self-titled debut album has already strong-armed its way to platinum status in the US, are all set to invade the UK. The goofball group will play their first ever UK live shows at the end of February, hot on the heels of their recent top 40 hit, Undone the Sweater Song. And it's something that bassist vocalist Matt Sharp is keenly anticipating. In America, we're now quite a big name, but in Britain, we're nobodies, he admits. And you know, it's kind of nice to be back in that sort of position. From the outside, it appears that Weezer have literally come out, but the truth is a little less glamorous. The uh, band first got together in February 92, explains the Weezer geezer, and he spent quite a lot of time in our native Los Angeles playing the usual clubs, but all of us uh, decided from the beginning that we wouldn't spend a penny of our own money on the band. We just didn't want to get into heavy personal debt, so any flyers, posters and so forth, we got others to pay for. We did one demo, it was recorded for free by a friend of ours in the studio he built in his own garage. That was the only take we did before getting signed. Records news and Crowbar, the New Orleans Sludge Rockers have their debut album, Obedience Through Suffering, released by Music for Nations on February the 27th. Faith No More, the San Franciscan superstars will now issue their latest album, King For A Day, Fall For A Lifetime, through London Records on March the 13th. And the Fiveson play low-key UK dates in March and not May, as indicated in the last issue. Helmet have a 10-song collection of rare and unreleased tracks recorded between 89 and 93, issued through Amphetamine Reptile on March the 15th under the title of Born Annoying. Available in both CD and LP format, the latter will initially be released in coloured vinyl. Motorhead, Lemmy and his lads romp back to issue a new album to be titled Sacrifice through SPV during March. Produced by Howard Benson, the full track listing is Sacrifice, Sex and Death, Over Your Shoulder, War for War, Fade to Black, not the Metallica cover, Dogface Boy, All Gone to Hell, Make Em Blind, Don't Waste Your Time, Another Time and Out of the Sun. My Own Victim, the Kentucky Bruisers issue a self-titled mini album through Century Media at the end of February. 
Stuck Mojo, uh, who are said to be a cross between Machine Head and Rage Against the Machine, will shortly issue their debut album through Century Media. It's titled Snapping Next. Tour news now, and Morris, the fairly accurate knife thrower. <laughs> this ludicrously titled individual plays a show at London Brixton the George IV on February the 26th. This is a lunchtime gig. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Sons of the Shaking Earth, the Scottish fucked up, punked out, hairy noisemakers, play their first ever English shows at Basildon Towngate Theatre, February the 24th, London Old Kent Road, Tab Rock Club 25th, and Oxford the Dolly on the 26th. And the Stiff Little Fingers, the Evergreen Punks, play Northampton Roadmenders, March the 9th, Wolverhampton Civic Hall 10th, Manchester Academy 11, Leeds Metropolitan University 12, Bristol Uni 13, Nottingham Rock City 15, Newcastle Mayfair 16, Glasgow Barrowlands 17, London Kentish Town Forum 18, Norwich UEA 19. Support comes from the Stiff Kittens. Hello America, it's Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens. Starting this week with Don K in New York. Kiss are currently playing a series of shows in Japan before moving on for a jaunt around Australia. The Japanese gigs feature a stage set that combines elements of several earlier extravaganzas and a set list that continues Paul Stanley's and Gene Simmons' fascination with unearthing as many vintage Kiss classics as possible. By the time they get down under, the band plan to incorporate an acoustic segment into their show which will feature such chestnuts as All The Way, Nothing To Lose and A World Without Heroes. Australia will also host the first of the KISS conventions to be officially sanctioned and produced by the band themselves. Inga Lurie, the semi-legendary ex-nymph singer, has resurfaced in her native New Jersey with a new band Motel Shootout. Since Laurie is more famous for pissing on former Geffen A&R man Tom Zutout's desk than her actual music, execs throughout the industry are already hurriedly drawing plastic covers over their desktops. Although the extreme cold spell that's hitting the East Coast right now is still keeping most people indoors, a rabid crowd did venture out to the Wetlands Club to see the Bay City Rollers. The aging pop sensations drew an audience ripe for nostalgia, resurrecting hits like I Only Want To Be With You and Money Honey to a world response. US News Extra Alice in Chains have started rehearsals for their next album in Seattle, with frontman Lane Staley most definitely in attendance. York, Pennsylvania Sensations Live are currently storming back up the Billboard charts with their throwing copper LP. The album, which has already sold nearly a million copies in the US, is the greatest gainer on the chart and has risen to number 16, its highest position to date. Pearl Jam's Vitology Platter has been certified quadruple platinum for sales in excess of 4 million copies in the US. Mercury Records have emerged as the favourites to sign Fallen Glam Hotshots Degeneration. Meanwhile, New York scene fixtures and proud punksters Roof Roof have signed to American Recordings. Floridan metal rappers Collapsing Lungs have shortened their names to Lungs, Ditch lead singer Brian and recruited ex-Murphy's Law Warzone tub thumper Mike McDermott. We now cross to Lisa Johnson in LA. The hottest party of the year so far was Slayer's Bash at the ultra-exclusive Magic Castle in Hollywood. 800 guests packed into the mock Victorian mansion to munch on an endless selection of tasty gourmet treats. If they could get around biohazard scoffing tub thumper Danny Shuler and drink copious amounts of beer, if they could fight past tools Adam Jones and Paul D'Armoire to get to the bar. Danzig's Glenn Danzig and John Christ and White Zombie's Rob Zombie discuss Glenn's new comic book line, Biohazard's Bobby Hamble rub shoulders with Red Hot Chili Peppers' Anthony Kiedis and Dave Navarro, the Peppers incidentally are currently mixing the follow-up to Blood Sugar Sex Magic and Ogre from Skinny Puppy was mistaken several times for Trent Reznor, even by American recording staff security who announced Reznor's arrival over the PA. Also milling about were Alison Chains' Mike Inez, the Hazard's bassist baller Evan Seinfeld and six-stringer Billy Graziardi, White Zombie Sean Uzel and actress Rosanna Arquette and... Arriving, fashionably late by actor Johnny Depp, his supermodel squeeze Kate Moss, and Counting Crows crooner Adam Duritz, who huddled in a corner all night with their entourage. 
Slayer were presented with four gold discs for Rain in Blood, South of Heaven, Seasons in the Abyss and Divine Intervention. After receiving a standing ovation, bassist grunter Tom Araya was moved to comment, It's about time. Beavis, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! We now come to concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Queen's Rack, live at the Royal Concert Hall Nottingham on Monday, February the 13th. Reviewed by Dave Reynolds, this gets electrocution out of five, five out of five. For a good few, this New World Tour, which had begun four days earlier in Glasgow, had to see Queen's Rack redeeming themselves for the controversial London Astoria show last autumn. Back in September, guitarist Chris DeGarmo had promised something special for this tour. It would, he remarked, involve heavy use of visuals, elements of film and theatre. Thus, the promised land set opens with a bewildered, besuited Jeff Tate, with the rack frontman looking like he's just stepped out of Pulp Fiction, captured on two screens before bounding on stage pursued by two reporters and big Kerrang snapper Paul Harris as the band break into IMI. The trio hassled Tate like an ITN news team after Eric Cantona. The expected dropkick doesn't come, although once the song concludes the pressmen rip Tate's suit from his person to reveal an exceedingly dodgy pair of leather shorts in which the singer prances for the rest of the evening. Quite remarkable, more so when Tate wields a large hammer during Damaged. Forthcoming single Bridge gives way to a veritable medley of new and old sounds including My Global Mind, Screaming in Digital, Neve Regal and was NM156 in there somewhere too. Queen's Rack then take time out for the video screens to deliver the spoken intro of the Operation Minecrime masterpiece with an animated cartoon edge before returning for an extremely popular segment of the show. This sees the quintet roll off Revolution Calling, the title track Spreading the Disease, the mission and I Don't Believe in Love prior to spectacularly inserting their contribution to the Last Action Hero soundtrack real world. They round things off, predictably enough, with Eyes of a Stranger accompanied by plenty of eye imagery on the video screens, getting a standing ovation as if this were the end of the night's entertainment. Wrong. With the briefest of pauses, Messrs Tate, DeGarmo, Wilton, Jackson and Rockenfield launch into Empire and Jet City Woman. It's interesting to note how many people actually check their watches after Tate utters the line watching the time tick tick away in this song. Jeff gets his sax out for the first time on Promised Land and from here it's a fairly melancholic trip to the end. Sure there's the upbeat saga-ish disconnected to contend with but on the whole Queensryche relaxed a little with the exception of Scott Rockenfield inside his plexiglass box drum kit who is hyper to the bitter end offering more rock theatrics with Out of Mind featuring Jeff Tate being wheeled around in a bath chair by a pretty nurse and the tear inducing silent lucidity. Of course it's not over till Tate sings someone else. And then the Reich delve back to the past for another run through of the ever popular Take Hold of the Flame, bringing back the days of priest influence, precision metal and pudding bowl rock haircuts sported by a certain member of the band. How times change. And how magnificently have Queen's Reich and Tate in particular progressed. They surely must return to the UK before this promised land tour is over. When they do, don't miss them. The next review is for Extreme Noise Terror and Dearly Beheaded, live at the Marquee London on Thursday, February the 9th. Reviewed by Xavier Russell, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Dearly Beheaded were recently somewhat mysteriously overlooked by the A&R folk at East West Records who were on the verge of signing the band to a lucrative deal, so it was hardly surprising to see various A&R scouts in amongst the spiked top punks. After witnessing a superlative display, it's hard to understand why East West let this band go. They've got songs, they can play. If they do have a fault, it lies with the lead singer's constant apologies for his northern roots. But the band more than made up for his northern waffling with their Slayer-esque thrash. Particularly impressive were the likes of Living in a Darkened Room, Never and Human from the excellent We The Unwilling demo and Break My Bones. I can't wait for the EP. Suffolk's very own speedcore faves Extreme Noise Terror certainly lived up to their name. This band is awesome. It's a bit like being continually kicked in the face for 50 minutes, having two screechers going full pelt namely Phil Vane and Dean Jones. Seriously cleaned out the lug holes. The noisy sextet were plugging their new long player Retribution featuring new versions of classic gems from yesteryear which were given an airing. We were treated to the likes of Work For Never, 
Think About It, complete with obligatory Tom G. Warrior style death grunts and the totally outrageous bullshit propaganda eased along with intense skin pounding from the aptly named pig killer. Experts Pete Hurley and Ali Filozbakht also deserve special mention for the amount of hate they managed to exhume from their nasty axes. One only had to listen to Third World Genocide to get caught up in all this hate. A thoroughly nasty night out. We are quite light on decent live reviews this week and the last review for this week is Splatterheads live at the Camden Underworld London Saturday February the 4th reviewed by Morat. This gets high voltage. You know where you stand with a name like Splatterheads. Splatterheads, as the name suggests, and bearing in mind that they're Australian, are going to be loud, obnoxious, unruly, and drunk. And what do you know? Splatterheads are indeed all those things and more. Tonight on their first trip to Blighty and using gear borrowed from the support band, they rip for a set that illustrates all that is best about abusing free chords. It's like the Dwarves, Haunted Garage, and Motorhead being attacked by the Ramones. Like most of the meagre audience, I don't know any of the songs and will be hunting for their bot the album forthwith. The foul four pieces delivery is shambolic and unprofessional, but all the more endearing for it. Splatterheads really do splatter heads. Next up in Kerrang, we have a piece entitled Censor Humour. Yeah, they've loosened up a bit, but rap metal mother censor are still whipping the kids into a frenzy. Jason Arnott reckons there's no stopping them. Chris Stone, a 23-year-old president of the Warwick University Rock Society, looks delirious. Drenched from head to toe in sweat, he officially pronounces this censor concert a resounding success. Fucking excellent, his presidency gasps. The new stuff sounded good too, although I was too busy crowd surfing to really pay attention to some of it. Nothing barring natural disasters can stop censors rise to glory now. They're simply one of the best things to happen to music in years. Tonight, the Wimbledon Septet play live new songs and the crowd's electrified frenzies don't abate for a moment. Censor are back and still ain't about to comply. We're in a very fucking good position, agrees frontman Haifam Al-Sayed, back in the dressing room with guitarist Nick Michelson while other band members play pool or watch TV. If people have got some kind of faith in what we've done already, then they'll just respond naturally to the new stuff that they hear. Things are flowing nicely and people seem really ready to hear what we're doing. Census UK touring plans were delayed last year due to Haifam's throat problems, problems that unfortunately still linger on. Yeah, I keep getting these infections and they always start about a week before we go on tour. It's getting to the stage where it's not so easy to pull gigs off anymore, which is really boring. I've taken a load of antibiotics a few times, but only in really dire emergencies. The worst thing was being put on a drip in Japan. Sensor's new material shocks. The music is as strongly varied as before, mashing several styles together with fantastically potent results. But the real ear opener comes when Hyphen spends most of his time singing, as opposed to constantly spitting out raps. Well, it's the rapid fire rap thing that's really killing my voice, he admits. There's no training for that kind of barking either, but the songs are also going this way because we want them to. Sensor's music now evokes everything from Parliament to Stone Temple Pilots. I'm not a big fan of Stone Temple Pilots, he frowns. I like Primus, Faith No More and Tall a lot. I do like Parliament though. Yeah, I went to see uh, Bootsy Collins last week and that was really good. Do you think people will be taken aback by your latest vocal approach? Yeah, well, when I started out, I didn't really know what I could do, basically. I never really contemplated doing this kind of singing. Then, the first time I did it, it seemed to work. I can sing Arabic music to a pretty decent degree, and I have done so. But even on Stacked Up, the odd bit of singing on No Comply or Stubborn seemed okay. There's still that hip-hop thing in some of the new vocals, he adds. Those kind of rhythmic words. It's not a complete departure, and there's new hip-hop stuff too, like Tin Can Hurricane. He claims it's that attract to be about riding around on your grifter when you're a kid while a racing new Motorhead-esque track fast song is simply about a bloke called Bill. The remaining new tracks are Twice As, Hidden Motive, an as yet untitled dubby instrumental and Evaporated, which would appear a touch more lyrically involved than the Tin Can Hurricane. It's about the quality of life, Hyphen explains, pouring some mineral water onto the table before slowly tracing patterns in it with his finger. Just the fact that blood is made of water and human beings are made of water, people are very finite and life is fucking cheap. People think they've got so much scope for improving themselves and doing better later, so they disregard the moment. No one really lives in the moment. Evaporated is a song about do it right now rather than regret it later. In the past, Hyphen's been accused of spouting political rhetoric about two hours ago, in fact, by a journo downstairs. It's all true. I'm guilty, he uh, grimly smirks. But what the fuck does that mean anyway? It doesn't hold sway at all. 
When we started, I just felt there were so many bands who weren't saying anything or not talking about the truth. I'm not a politician, but I talk about something if it touches my life. Most of what I've talked about is a general lack of faith in our government and our system to make things better for us. But most people have that. It's nothing fucking special. But if you speak your mind about something, you're expected to keep doing it. Otherwise, people think you've given up on the subject. Sent to have a long-form video released on March the 13th. It's called States of Mind and it ain't bad at all. Most bands do a video after their first decade, smiles guitarist Nick. We decided to do ours on tour with a video camera over a year and a half. It's quite funny and it pretty much sums up the band. Sensor's last tour took them as far afield as Czechoslovakia and Japan. In Fuse's hyphen, it was very good to go to places like Prague because up till recently they haven't had any bands going over there at all. Has travelling the planet confirmed or changed any of your worldly beliefs? It makes you feel that people pretty much have the same qualities all over the world. Certain traits become slightly amplified in certain places, but mostly it's the same old shit going on everywhere you go. I was quite well travelled before we set off doing these gigs anyway. German people are very similar to British people here, Pines. I reckon maybe that's why they were fighting so much, because they're basically the same fat sausage-eating bunch of you know. Germany's the only other country that will serve you sausages at four in the morning and frothing ales. Haifam also describes Japan as a very fishy place, lots of fish and byproducts of fish. He is a doer rather than a talker. The process of making promo videos, for example, is summed up with it can either be really boring or simple, you do what ideas you have or you hear someone else's ideas, or else it can just be a big fuck about that goes on for weeks. Each video has just been what we wanted to do and it's all come out well. It's a fluke. Sensor aren't much into self-analysis, says Hyphen. It's just music, man. This sums up the band's philosophy in a nutshell. It's important to remember that Hyphen emphasises, otherwise people start talking about metal and hip-hop like they're fucking closed books. I'm really not interested. It's impossible to experiment with music when you've got all that stuff lingering over you. After this UK trek, Sensor may well record some of their corking new material. After that, it's off to America. I'm looking forward to seeing it for real rather than through TV, and then we'll presumably receive the next Sensor offering. What form will it take? Over to Hyphen. It'll be as many songs as we've got that sound good, stuck on a bit of vinyl, or indeed, compact disc. Communication now, and the long hairs of 1995 are angry. Of course they're angry. Cotton Eye Joe by the Rednecks was number one for three weeks, only to be knocked off the charts by Celine Dion. Can you blame them for writing into Kerrang to complain about Bon Jovi? The letter of the week this week begins. Guys, come on, you've got to be kidding me. First there's the idea of a Crow 2 soundtrack, a soundtrack with no film. Hey, mucho cool idea. Then as if that wasn't good enough, there's a report that yes, there will be a Crow 2 film and John Bon Jovi has been officially offered the lead role. Now don't get me wrong, John might be a very good actor, he's kidded everyone that he's a rock star for long enough, ha, but he ain't ever going to be right for the role of Eric Draven. Might as well cast Jean-Paul Gaultier as Robocop or The Terminator. The Crow is a damn good film with damn good music and a great tribute to a young actor who should have been world famous instead of dead. If they've got to give the role to a real musician, why not Trent Reznor? Hell, he contributed to the film's first soundtrack. Brandon Lee was a fan of Nine Inch Nails. And is it just me, or does Trent look a lot like Lee did in the film? And here's the clincher. Reznor knows the man who created The Crow, James O'Barr. Besides, can you imagine Eric Draven taking apart the bad guys to the sound of living on a prayer? Nope, thought not, the Joker from Leeds. Uh, calm down mate, here's a Karen cap to console ya, editor. I can't wait to see Megadeth at the Wolverhampton Civic Hall, but what I am dreading is having to sit through two sets by two shit bands. We don't want to see indie shit like Curb Dog, Baby Chaos or Sugar. What we need are two good metal bands that need some exposure to push themselves up to a new level. Here are some suggestions. Annihilator, Fight, Lion's Heart, Cathedral or Forbidden. Come on Megadeth, we're looking to you to give us a full metal UK tour. Adrian Raven Betts from Staffordshire. In response to the letter from Dave Mustaine's King V Pro issue 532 complaining about the possibility of ACDC again headlining Donington, I say bollocks. To say that ACDC are no longer a popular act is the biggest load of bullshit I've ever read in recent years. It really pisses me off that bands who have been around for more than a few albums are automatically assumed to have had their day and that other bands deserve to have a go. Fuck that. 
Do these people not think of the reality? Megadeth, while I have nothing against them, are playing theatres on their impending UK tour and are hardly likely to sell out a 75,000 strong festival. Even Aerosmith fell short last year. The reason ACDC keep being asked back is that they are one of the few bands who can do this and that is because live, practically no one can touch them and no other band has such a large hardcore following. All us ACDC fans are tearing our hair out at rumours of them splitting up and leaving a big hole in the live scene. They are irreplaceable. Fuck the minority of whingers and moaners. All power to ACDC and let's boogie. Andrew Purley from Southampton. Gagging for a shagging now. Please print a pic of the gorgeous Chris Robinson. All oh, the flares, the hair and what a voice. Chris, you can sting me anytime you like so come on and be my conspiracy because it'll make you twice as hard as you've ever been before. Love ya. Mish, Chris Robinson's floppy hat on tour. I've just heard the new Faith No More single Digging the Grave on the Radio 1 Rock Show and if the rest of the album due out is as strong then frankly all I have to say is welcome the fuck back. They have more than proved that without Jim Martin they can still make great music. So to the people who thought that Faith No More were dead and buried after Jim left, take a listen to the new album because I'm sure it will be a killer. Keep it up boys. The producer, Middlesex. I see Moritz's interview with Fat Mike on NoFX provided him with another opportunity to have a dig at Bad Religion for leaving Epitaph for the major label pastures of Colombia. I wonder, does this mean that when Morat decided to leave his squat and the world of fanzine writing for the gleaming towers of Emap owned Kerrang, trips around the world and a wage, that he was selling out, or was he just taking this opportunity to capitalise on his talents and get his work across to a wider audience? Carl from Wrexham. I would like to say to Andy from Sun in Ashfield, issue 532, that there was only one Black Sabbath, and that was Ozzy, Tony, Giza, and Bill. All the other lineups apart from Dio were fuck ups. I think Giza is right. Tony Iommi should let the name Black Sabbath rest in peace. And Ozzy doesn't need to do crazy things to get in the press and to sell records. He sells records because he is the best, and Epic will be worse off without him. Paranoid, Mid Glamorgan. In the beginning there was one word and that word was Caius. Nuff said. The Master's Hammer leads. Regarding issue 532 and Chris the Machine Head superfan who claims to thrive on pit violence, I'd just like to say that pit violence sucks. I went to see Slayer Machine Head in Leeds and thoroughly enjoyed the Machine Head set. Sure, it's rough, but nobody meant anyone any harm. During the Slayer set, however, some idiot at the back decided he wanted to be at the front of the mosh pit and set about kicking and punching anyone in his way. I was in his way and I put up some resistance. A pit fight ensued, which I won, although the fucker gave me a skitty little bite on my wrist. The thing is, my memory of that gig is spoiled by the fact that I had to fight. When you go to gigs to see a band, that should be all you go for. If you want to fight, then take up boxing or something. There are a lot of girls and blokes smaller than me who'd uh, had their evening ruined by that shithead. As it is, my memory of that gig is marred by being made to fight. I can't remember Slayer set at all. If that guy had a problem with me, he should have waited till we got outside, but then, I think without the crowd to skulk amongst, he'd have chickened out. To Chris and his ilk, all I can say is if you think you're so hard, then fight man to man. Anyone can throw a punch in a mosh pit. Cole Thompson, Cumbria. First you say Kiss are coming back with makeup on, which was brilliant, but then it turns out to be a load of bollocks. You wankstained. Then you said ACDC were doing Dunnington. I just find out on the rock show that they fucking aren't. You bunch of poon twanging bastards. People are saying Metallica will do Dunnington, which is good, but they haven't done fuck all for four fucking years except tours, which are good, but don't come far up into Scotland. I also think there should be more babes in your posters, like L7 and Cycle Slugs from Hell with suspenders on. Kerrang is right to have little posters of Pamela Anderson. She used to go out with Brett Michaels, so why not? Stephen Ward, Orkney. Ill communication. We now come to this week's cover stars. Cover stars in quotations, because as you've already been told, as you've already been told, that's very rude, isn't it? As I already told you at the start of the issue, the cover star for this week is uh, Woody Harrison as his character in um, Natural Born Killers. So, killing is my business, and business is good for Jane Hasher. Punk loving producer of the hugely controversial and successful serial murder movie Natural Born Killers. But why did she turn to Trent Reznor for the MBK soundtrack? Jason Arnop finds out. 
Kareng's where this damn movie belongs, declares Natural Born Killers producer Jane Hampshire. My mother always said she'd never go and see the film unless my name was on it. Even now, I'm having trouble persuading her to come. Surprisingly, for a Hollywood producer, Hampshire used to edit the San Francisco punk mag Damage. No wonder the serial killer movie of the decade, a film without heroes, as Hampshire puts it, ended up featuring music from Nine Inch Nails, L7, Patti Smith and her old mate Jello Biafra. Yeah, she laughs, I mean, who the fuck's heard of Lard? I couldn't get a flipper track on there, though I wanted Sex Bomb, but Oliver couldn't handle it. Oliver is the big-time director Oliver Stone, famous for Platoon and JFK. Stone, however, was not on board the Natural Born Killers project from the beginning. My partner and I bought the script from a friend of ours who worked in an LA video store at the time, Quentin Tarantino, Hampshire recalls. We kept the project for a long time, but people usually had bad ideas of what they wanted to do with it. We wouldn't sell it for ages. Then one day, Oliver Stone called and said, Hi, I want to do this movie. I like what he was saying, but I wasn't sure of whether he was coming from the same place. I didn't want to wind up with a bunch of 60s music on the film. So I sent him L7's Bricks A Heavy CD with a note saying, You'll probably hate this. I hope so. He called back saying, What's this? I said, This is post 60s music, Oliver. Then I sent him a tape with stuff like Fear, Agent Orange, Dead Kennedys, Joy Division, Patti Smith, and he really liked it. I was surprised at how unfamiliar he was with all this stuff, having done the Doors movie. The original music compiler couldn't understand why I was sending Oliver all this stuff. He wanted to put Bob Sager all over the movie. Stone then set about rewriting the MBK script while listening to some of Hampshire's chosen sounds. This rewriting process pissed Quentin Tarantino off a tad, and the Reservoir Dogs started badmouthing Stone in the press. This resulted in Hampshire withdrawing Tarantino's rights to publish his original MBK screenplay in book form, so to stop looking for it on those virgin megastore bookshelves. Maybe one day we'll negotiate some kind of peace with Quentin, Hampshire reckons, if he decides to stop being childish and petulant. It's just bad blood. We all started out as nobodies together. Anyway, Stone's final Natural Born Killers ended up featuring around 100 different songs. It was an anomaly in the world of soundtracks, Hampshire stresses, especially after The Crow. Companies realised that they can make a shitload of money from getting popular bands to appear on a soundtrack. With Natural Born Killers, we started with music we liked and based the film around it. All the music was chosen from different labels, both little indie things and more mainstream stuff. We use one Nine Inch Nails song when Mickey and Mallory, the film's murderous anti-heroes, are fighting in the middle of the desert. Trent Reznor became interested after seeing the film and said he wanted to produce a soundtrack and release it for his own label. He then wrote the track, Burn, which we ended up using in the end credits. Hampshire has strong ideas on why heavy music works so powerfully during the film. It works well because the film's so aggressive anyway. The music's like an analogue of the film. It gets your adrenaline going and sucks you in. With any other music, you wouldn't identify with the characters so strongly. She selects the example of L7's shitlist blaring out over the opening Dinah massacre scene. Donita Sparks is shouting, you've made my shitlist, and you don't realise till too late that you're sympathising with a couple of serial killers. L7 are used for quite a subversive purpose in that context, to drive you into complicity with Mickey and Mallory. You know how they feel. You walk out of the theatre thinking, I don't want to know this about myself, you just don't want to face it. With any other kind of music, you wouldn't be so drawn in. You'd be looking at the violence much more subjectively. Which is why a rock fan, for example, would have a completely different response to my mother. It's widely known that Natural Born Killers received a total of 150 trims from America's equivalent of our own BBFC, the MPAA. But the film is far from butchered, as Hampshire explains. We went to the MPAA five times, which is not unusual for an action film. 150 cuts might sound like a lot, but it amounts to no more than a minute of running time. There were no entire scenes removed, mostly single frames. It was stuff like the ratings board saying, OK, we see someone being shot with two bullets and we want to see just one. The only cut that bothered me was the scene where Robert Downey Jr. gets held hostage. Mallory shoots a hole through his head and there was a great scene where you can see the warden Tommy Lee Jones through the hole. It was a hilarious scene. Funnily enough, the scene's a lot more painful to watch now. After the offending minute was removed, MBK was shipped over here for the censor's consideration. It was promptly withheld from release, mostly due to tabloid hysteria about some alleged copycat killings in Denver and Paris. I would have thought the English people would be more accepting than the Americans, Hampshire shrugs. The film's very critical of America, and I would have thought it would be easier to take outside of the country than inside. 
anyone stupid enough to believe this movie could make someone killed deserves the curse of walking around with that ignorance. To think that anyone's life was perfectly normal right up until they carried out an act like that, all it says to me is that MBK definitely hits on what's going on in our culture. Hampshire insists that the violence in MBK is a lot more honest than a true lies or something like that, where everyone believes that the Schwarzenegger character is a hero. You're allowed to enjoy it because he's killing bad guys. Surely if the bad guy's done bad, you should put him in jail, not riddle him with bullets. There's also a lot to be said for the catharsis of screen violence. Some people seem under the impression that sugar-coated movies would make society just fine. There's such a pressure for every single movie and piece of art to be politically and morally correct. Won't MBK benefit from being condemned as morally reprehensible, etc? You mean at the box office, money-wise? I guess so, but the most painful thing was when the film was number one in America and we had the feeling that no one understood what we were trying to say. Hopefully, the same won't happen in England. Watch very closely at certain points in Natural Born Killers and you'll see Jane Hampshire making brief appearances as one of Mickey and Mallory's demons. I had black stuff on my teeth, she chuckles, garish red lipstick, rippled skin and a backwards leather jacket that looked like a bondage suit. I appear once in the scene where the warden tells Scagnetti that Marily killed her shrink. I'm still trying to screw my head on straight after the whole experience. Every time I see the movie, I still see new stuff. MBK has made Jane Hampshire's career. Her next film project is a remake of Planet of the Apes starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, but she doesn't intend to take the movie metal thing any further. Actually, I've gone just the opposite, she admits. I don't want us to jump on the bandwagon and rip ourselves off. It was used for Natural Born Killers because it was totally right. It may never be right again. Singles, and the singles this week are reviewed by Ray Zell. The first single reviewed is The Only One by Gun. This gets 3Ks. Porridge munchers with a nice dreamy, polite wee ditty. You can actually hum Jimmy Nell's crocodile shoes over it. You don't have to, I'm just saying you could. Next is Faith No More with their single Dig In The Grave. This gets 3Ks. Oh dear, I played it again and again and again as I considered it an important release. Nothing constructive gelled in the lump of mud betwixt my ears except for the nailing riff and even that's hardly killer driller siller. Actually, I'd prefer a blind date with Jim Martin. Knapsack with their single True to Form, this gets 2Ks. Northern Californian born and bred rebels with a cause attack with listless lyrics and distorted sonics. Actually, it was quite memorable while I was playing it. Everclear with their single Fire Maple Song, this gets 4Ks. Portland Trio, thought it was bollocks at first, but then these insidious layers creep into the sonic tapestry and intertwine to build up into something that makes me want to talk like I don't know what I'm talking about. Suddenly, stomach churning bass invades and your heart and mind explode in exquisite harmony as this melodically grinds to its conclusion. No, really. The single of the week this week is Hip Today by Extreme. This gets 5Ks. Just when I discarded the album too. Just goes to show you what happens when you spotlight an individual track. Hip Today has this kind of luxurious Zepp-like warmth to it. An odd single choice though, thinks describe. What with it being all loose and jammy, but the gorgeous chorus does anchor it some. Sorry, I mean, I really did fancy going for something completely rad and obscure. We now come to a piece in Kerrang! entitled Metal Memes Murder. Personally speaking, I do remember this time. Um, I remember Natural Born Killers coming out and the controversy that it uh, sowed. I think there was a real issue around this time of uh, music and movies being blamed. Um, I mean, there still is, if we're honest, of just being blamed for everything that goes wrong in society. Um, so Kareng have decided uh, to look into this. Why is heavy metal blamed for murder and suicide? And is Natural Born Killers part of the problem? Chris Watts digs beyond the hype and moral outrage. Two heavy metal fans blow their heads off whilst listening to Judas Priest records. What's the problem? It's called natural selection. Dennis Leary, no cure for cancer. Natural Born Killers is a giant movie, a huge dumb gun fest featuring the barman from Cheers, Woody Harrelson, and a fit unit with long legs, Juliette Lewis, together as Mickey and Mallory Knox. They go on a Technicolor killing spree because, well, because that's what Americans do when they want to get famous. 
Natural Born Killers uses a simple formula. Take a fish out of water, give it a big fucking gun and let it loose against the establishment. Mickey and Mallory Knox are the Bonnie and Clyde of the 90s kill culture. King and Queen are the negative celebrity circus. Director Oliver Stone's splatter message is blindingly obvious. Give a stupid man a big gun and he will kill for kicks. Notoriety and a TV exclusive, big deal. The film's soundtrack is suitably bombastic. The message in the music is that psycho killer couples are most likely to start blasting whenever L7 shitlist comes on the jukebox. This is made apparent within the first three minutes of Natural Born Killers. The song's aggression is deemed appropriate by Trent Reznor, the film's musical director. Yeah, well, here's some fucking news for you, bud. Thanks for banging another nail in Metal's coffin, you geeky stickman. Natural Born Killers is a comedy. The final jail scenes even verge on farce, yet the strength of a film like Reservoir Dogs lies in the music's almost surreal distance from the on-screen gore. Reservoir Dogs is actually not as violent as Natural Born Killers and yet it is far more sinister, opting to precede one of cinema's most horrific torture scenes with a song as innocent as Steeler's Wheels Stuck in the Middle with You is a stroke of genius. By comparison, the choice of L7 shitlist is a cheap shot in a film that uses the lowest common denominator as its prime ingredient. Heavy metal and murder have been linked for years. Serial killers have fascinated storytellers and spooks since it was first deemed a tad antisocial to kill and skin your mother. Ed Gein did just that and was finally arrested in 1957. The sad remains of a further 15 women were found by police on Gein's Wisconsin farm. Gein was immediately incarcerated not only in a state mental hospital but also in America's more macabre folklore. He was the prime inspiration for Psycho, one of Hitchcock's greatest efforts and still a suspense classic after 35 years. It was Slayer who added heavy metal to the Ed Gein equation when they recorded Dead Skin Mask for their 1991 album Seasons in the Abyss. By now, it was practically essential for any self-respecting metal god to have read up on at least one serial killer. It was extreme imagery for extreme music. Perfect. Hollywood celebrated serial killers by turning them into outlaws. Outlaws are good box office. From Bonnie and Clyde to Badlands, River's Edge to Thelma and Louise, Hollywood went gun crazy. River's Edge skillfully portrayed a group of small town heavy metal gumbies as blank brain misfits and killers. A woman is shot merely for talking shit. The killer's friends, including Dennis Hopper as a peg legs fugitive in love with a blow up doll, rally around him to prevent any police inquiry, sparking allegations from a Victorian media that River's Edge was a celebration of pointless violence. The soundtrack, including tracks by Megadeth and Slayer, did little to pacify the moral majority. Heavy metal is not pretty music. It can be pushed to extremes. Sometimes, however, the results can prompt an avalanche of prejudice from a media who still consider Mick Jagger a Satanist. Court cases have been well documented throughout the history of heavy metal, but in recent years, the teenage suicides allegedly inspired by the music of such old farts as Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne have been truly eclipsed by the modern lunatic fringe. Last year, Stephen Wilkinson was charged with the stabbing of 12-year-old Nicky Conroy. The tabloid press unearthed two Sepultura records in Wilkinson's bedroom and laid the blame for his mental state at the feet of Max Cavalera. I don't think things like that happen for nothing, Cavalera recently told Kerrang, and I don't want to let them just go away. I think people should understand what happened. I'm going to try and explain the Sepultura point of view on the next album. Stuff that we never had a chance to explain because no one wants to hear you when you've been appointed as the guilty party. New York hardcore heroes sick of it all were dragged into the equation in 1993 when Wayne Lowe gunned down several of his prep school classmates in Massachusetts. The student was wearing a sick of it all t-shirt. If the reporters had bothered to read our lyrics, commented drummer Armand Majidi, to really understand what the message of the band is, they would see that we totally condemn violence. Even Nirvana were not safe from the media's almost pathological hatred of heavy rock. Kurt Cobain's name appeared several times last year during the British trial of Jamie Petrolini, accused of stabbing Mohammed Al-Sayed. In a letter he wrote after allegedly committing the murder, Petronilli said he wanted to be another Kurt Cobain. In psychiatric reports, Petronilli was said to be obsessed with Nirvana's music and Cobain's lyrics. Sex sells, so does Satan when therapy's Andy Ken said on Trigger Inside, I know how Jeffrey Dahmer feels lonely. It was a neat way of saying that teenagers can never get a shag. It is highly unlikely that anyone could listen to Troublegum and be inspired to butcher several young boys in the name of necrophilia and later blame therapy for the massacre. Killers still shock. 
Take Charles Manson, the legendary 60s cult guru who urged his sad flock of lemmings to murder actress Sharon Tate in her Hollywood apartment is badder than the rest because he's probably the most intelligent man currently serving a life sentence. Manson himself has practically been made an honorary rock and roller. Guns N' Roses recorded a Manson tune, Look At Your Game Girl, on their covers album, The Spaghetti Incident, a typically controversial action by the band dubbed the most dangerous in the world. The ensuing controversy provoked Axl Rose into issuing a public statement defending his decision to cover the song. Manson is a dark part of American culture and history, Axl explained, but most people hadn't heard anything he recorded. People say I wear a Charlie Don't Surf t-shirt for shock value. Yes, I was trying to make a statement. I wore the t-shirt because a lot of people enjoy playing me as the bad guy and the crazy. Sorry, I'm not that guy. I'm nothing like him. That's what I'm saying. There's a real difference in morals and ethics between Manson and myself. He's a sick individual. Trent Reznor shares Axel's fascination with Manson, only Reznor went to even more shocking extremes in pursuit of his macabre interest. Reznor wrote and recorded his latest Nine Inch Nails album, The Downward Spiral, at the very house where Manson's family slaughtered Tate and several others. And in the title of the album, Reznor also echoed the Beatles' Helter Skelter, which Manson claimed was part of the inspiration behind the killings. Manson is almost a prerequisite accessory, a fashionable eccentric. Paradise Lost are currently negotiating with Manson's lawyers in order to use his voice from a Channel 4 documentary, the song Forever Failure will hopefully feature Manson saying, I'm sorry, I don't really know what sorry means. I've been sorry all my life. I'm sorry I was born. It's what my mother told me. Paradise Lost's frontman Nick Holmes admits, I just love the way he says it. It's such a hypocritical statement and it sends a shiver down your spine. It's quite frightening actually, the thought of having anything to do with that bloke. Manson was seen as the dark underbelly of 60s flower power. The 60s have been revisited during the 90s, everything from the Black Crow's retro mania to the drug-addled rave scene. And the lunatic in Manson could easily have identified with Varg Vikernes. If anything, the leader of Norway's satanic terrorists is proof that anybody who kills in the name of metal is as mad as a fucking goose. Vikernes, aka Count Grishnak, was convicted in Norway last year for the murder of rival black metal musician Oysten Arsef, aka Euronymous, in August 1993. Awaiting the trial, Vikernes sat in his prison cell sending letters and missives to some 200 faithful disciples around the country, advocating rape, arson and murder, the black metal godfather claimed allegiance to the soil of Odin and vowed to fight the Christian hordes with his every deed and word. He was jailed for 21 years. Vikernes is currently preparing a weighty philosophical manuscript entitled Vagsmal. It is not yet known whether Oliver Stone has expressed any interest. As a satanic soap opera, the Vikernes trial was exceptional. The only problem seemed to be that all the fun was happening abroad. Until that is, the leafy dormitory town of Tunbridge Wells in Kent was shocked last year by a spate of church desecrations. The Christian authorities were understandably outraged. So was the local press. The witch hunt was swift and successful, leading to the arrest and subsequent conviction of Paul Timms and three associates. In comparison to events in Norway, Timms' crimes were petty. It was established that he was the motivating force behind wannabe black metal activists Necropolis and that the church desecrations were inspired by Vikernes' activities. Yet his exploits were afforded scant sympathy by the heavy metal fraternity. Herod is both a sad little fuck and a stupid cunt in the letters page of Kerrang. Tim scraped into fourth place in the Nutter of 94 readers poll behind Kurt Cobain, Phil Anselmo and Ricky Warwick. The defence for heavy metal is not good. Musicians opt out of any responsibility by claiming third-party immunity. Their message is subsequently blurred. Movies like Natural Born Killers demand violent music for violent images. The current avalanche of movie soundtracks from the major record companies is proof that a band's music can be taken out of context and used to illustrate a movie director's prejudice. River's Edge is the only known movie to feature a Megadeth song in a love scene, which is smarter than Barry White or Whitney Houston. Finally, a note to serial killers out there with an itchy trigger finger and a hard-on. Could you please wear a boy's own t-shirt and tell the police their music made you do it? Get off heavy metal's back. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. We now come to albums, and the first album reviewed this week, and the album of the week, is Alive in Studio A by Bruce Dickinson. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this gets 3Ks. 
What's all this then? Singer, author, fencer, radio DJ, chainsaw juggler Bruce Dickinson's first release since parting ways with EMI as a double CD package, wisely priced at $12.99. This one is a session recorded in London, originally intended for American radio consumption, while its partner is a live set from the band's marquee show last October. The current allegedly permanent lineup of Bruce, bassist Chris Dale, guitarist Alex Dixon and drummer Alessandra Elena re-recorded 12 songs for the radio session. Tattooed Millionaire, Son of a Gun and Born in 58 from Bruce's Tattooed Millionaire solo debut and Everything Except Gods of War from 94's Balls to Picasso. The live recording bears much the same tracklist, only replacing Fire with Gods of War, but before this review entirely becomes a news piece, let's examine how much you really want to spend 1,299 pennies on a live in Studio A. It's hardly an essential purchase for all but the most dedicated Bruce Buzzards. The quality and value for money are definitely there, but what you're buying here is slightly different versions of the man's solo material. Obviously, it's interesting to hear what Dale Dixon and Elena have added to the source tunes, but in truth, there's no wide gulf between the original Balls album and these new cuttings. You notice the odd thing here and there, like the newly apocalyptic ending for the rather fine Cyclops, Bruce's improved vocals on Sacred Cowboys, or a thousand being slightly faster, but most of us will notice little. Songwise, Dickinson's solo career hasn't been all that bad. The police he's born in 58 and tattooed millionaire from his first LP are capable anthems, although the mundane son of a gun's reappearance is a mystery. At least the cover of all the young dudes didn't make it back. Balls to Picasso was a brave, interesting affair, and highlights like Cyclops or a thousand points of light impress. Even if a few tracks, Fire, Tears of the Dragon, remind us that Bruce has yet to fully embrace the values of new metal. Does this bizarre Brucey bonus tempt the wallet? All but the truly devoted may run for the hills. The next review is for Pain by Dub War. Reviewed by Morant, this gets 4Ks. When Dub War released their debut mini album Dub Warning on the anarchist Words of Warning label, they merely hinted at the incredible talent that they were to unleash to the world with their first full length opus. Even allowing for the fact that I've not had the chance to play Pain as many times as it clearly deserves, it should be obvious to your deaf old granddad that this is a truly great album. Dub War are an eclectic outfit who can go down just as well on the same stage as 2 Unlimited as they would with any ferocious hardcore band. The quality that makes this possible is more than clear on pain with its dabs of reggae, rock, funk and a whole bunch of other styles all fused together like they've been heated to melting point. Early comparisons to the Bad Brain still hold water, however, and run deeper than simply the fact that there's a large crazy dreadlock black guy front in the band. Although Benji's vocals are very similar to the legendary HR at times, but as the last EP got it, the track also features here proved, maybe a closer comparison would include Faith No More at their best. Dub War are just one of many bands giving the British rock scene a much needed boot up the arse at the moment, but along with Skunk and Nancy, this Welsh four piece are the most likely to be absolutely huge. Every track on Pain will make you want to dance, and despite the aforementioned similarities, there are chunks of originality and genius here that are so big they blot out the sky. Pain is a pleasure from beginning to end. Next up we have Weezer with their album Weezer. Reviewed by Phil Alexander, this gets 4Ks. Weezer are losers. The kind of LA geeks who'll tell you that they got beaten up at school discos for idiot dancing to Van Halen's jump. They decorated their rooms with kiss posters. They tell you so on In The Garage, the ultimate nerd rock anthem where they rhyme Kiss with Ace Freely and Peter Chris. Despite being faceless nerks, Weezer have the advantage. They're different from your average post-Nirvana alterno combo because they write great songs. Comparisons are easy to make. You can't help but mention the current crop of power-popping US punk upstarts such as Green Day and to a lesser extent Bad Religion. But you could also mention Brit Herberts like The Wild Hearts or Baby Chaos. We're talking whopping hunks of hummability here. No one else is top of a chorus that will have you singing in your sleep. The world has turned and left me has more hooks than a fishing convention. Undone, the sweater song, is a sublime slice of MTV pumped power pop and so it goes on. Occasionally, Weezer transgressed the boundaries of good taste, but ultimately this 10 track debut is a fine slice of disposable trashy teenage fun. 
Weezer may not make it to the next album and the world may not miss them when they're gone, but for now, they're hot property. Chart Attack now and the number one album this week is Waiting for the Punchline by Extreme. The number one indie LP is still Burn My Eyes by Machine Head and the number one single is High Head Blues by The Black Crows. The reader's chart this week comes from Graham Boyle from New South Wales in Australia. His chart begins one Learning to Live Dream Theatre, two Widow Paradise Lost, three Heartwork Carcass, four You Keep On Moving Live Glenn Hughes, five Wood Alice in Chains, six Waterfront Weirdos Magalyn, seven The Losers Warrior Soul, eight Natural Science Rush, nine Berlin Meridian and ten Nighttime Sky Enchant. The star tracks this week comes from Alex Newport of Fudge Tunnel and Nailbomb. His chart is number one release Cop Shoot Cop, two Cure for Pain Morphine, three Love Poke Here Ed Hall, four Tracks Bear, and five Metal Box by Public Image Limited. Next week in Kerrang! Back Issues. Kings for a Day, Faith No More Back on the Throne, What Really Happened with Jim Martin and the Sensational Truth About How They Nearly Split Up. Satanic Metal, The New Breed, A Shocking Big Kerrang! Investigation. Hanging with the Beastie Boys, on the road with the Pimp Metal Smoothies. Pimp Metal? That's the weirdest, that's the weirdest description I've ever heard for the Beastie Boys. Plus, Girls Against Boys, Paradise Lost, Honeycrack, Warrant, No Effects, Hole, Head Swim, Soul Asylum and Freak of Nature. Thank you as always for listening. We will be back next Wednesday as usual, so I look forward to talking to you all then. Have a good week and uh, yeah, talk to you all next week. Bye for now.